honestly, to me, an interview is a discovery call. You're trying to find that mutual fit on both sides and asking those questions, kind of tying back to like, well, what are they looking to get out of this? It's almost like a value proposition. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about how to effectively hire sales development reps, or SDRs, sometimes known as BDRs. Anyone who's listened to the show knows I believe being an SDR is the most challenging job in sales and one that is not often given the level of respect it deserves. Successful team requires effective hiring, and attrition rates, they're at an all-time high. We hear it all the time. Can't, can't find them, can't keep them. And this should be a conversation. Couldn't come at a better time to help us break down the topic. We have with us Lisa Schneer, director of sales development and head of Halifax operations for Influid. Lisa, thank you so much and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Chad. I'm so excited to be a part of it. All right. So before we jump in, we always like to start with a random <laughs> off the wall question so people get a sense of you as a person. And I don't know why I've been on this kick lately, but I'm really curious to learn something that you're passionate about, hobby or a pastime, doesn't matter, that those who know you largely from work would be surprised to learn about. So I'm pretty much an open book with my colleagues. They'll tell you I, I probably overshare. Very good, <laughs> very good at transparency. But one of the things that I, I love to read, and I know a lot of people say that, but the surprising thing is that I actually hate business books. And I really <laughs> struggle with them. So I oftentimes will, will find some kind of synopsis of a business book and try to look for the highlights because they are drudgery for me. Have you, have you seen the app? I just got that. Have you seen the app Blinkist? B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. So someone at work just told me about this because this came up the other day. Um, everybody was talking about their favorite business book and I was looking awkward and quiet in the corner because I don't have one. Um, and somebody <laughs> did mention this app. So, so this is something that it, it summarizes. Yeah. It's basically 15 minutes. It takes, takes all the books, basically turns them into little, uh, column, they call them blanks, but it's basically a little synopsis of the primary points and the research behind it. And you can Fantastic. listen 15 minutes. You can listen to it or, and or read it. Doesn't matter. I've started just plugging it in in the car instead of audible and because I, I mean i make it through four books on the way to the airport that's awesome i'm gonna have to buy stock <laughs> <laughs> it is a brilliant idea and it's actually it's really really well done which was my concern it was like because it's hard to distill a lot of that stuff down into poignant facts and and they do a really good job the production is great anyway that is not a sponsored thing if <laughs> yeah, yeah, like do. i literally just downloaded the damn thing two, three days ago, and I'm in love with it. So, <laughs> All right. I love it. I'm going to download it as soon as we're done. Yeah. It's very, very cool. All right. So for our listeners, give them a little bit more context around uh, Influitive and what you do there. Yeah. So Influitive really got started in and pioneered really customer advocacy as a marketing strategy. And they were a little bit ahead of their time, I think, because um, that's something that's very top of mind with most, most companies nowadays with the, of course, the breach of trust and the way data is used and privacy issues and everything we've been through these last few years. It's really changed the way marketing works and advocacy is really coming to the forefront. But Influitive has been doing it for like nine years. And our solution is a customer marketing solution. 
innovation that helps brands engage their customers and really mobilize those top advocates, those happy customers. And we do it by using personalized targeting algorithms that provide like a personalized customer journey through, through the platform and also through gamification, which keeps things engaging and rewarding. So that's, that's Influtive. I started with Influtive just nine months ago, and they brought me on for kind of a dual role, as you mentioned at the top of the show. So I'm director of sales development, which takes me between our head, head office in Toronto and also have a few sales development reps in Halifax right now. But I'm also head of Halifax. So what happened was Influtive decided they wanted to open a second HQ. They looked at a bunch of different cities and they chose Halifax. Halifax is on the east coast of Canada, for those who don't know. We're a small city, just under 450,000 people, but a growing city. And we have a, a lot of major universities here. So we get a lot of new grads coming out of school that are looking for opportunities. And oftentimes we end up losing them to cities like Toronto or Vancouver, because those are where the career opportunities are, or that's what they feel. So the government here in Nova Scotia and in Halifax is coming up with a lot of incentives to get companies to open offices here and create more opportunity to keep these new grads here in Halifax, where ultimately they want to be. It's beautiful here. We're right on the Atlantic Ocean. It is beautiful um, there. No, yeah, Chad. you've been. Chad's yeah. been, guys. Uh, it yeah, so it is. It's a beautiful city. And uh, and that's that's one of the reasons that they chose Halifax, uh, multiple reasons. It's also very cheap to live here. So it's one of those things where, of course, we can we can get great talent at a little bit less and still live in this beautiful city. So that's my two sides to my role. The, the sales development part of it is where I'm most comfortable. That's where I started in my career in tech was as an SDR myself and worked my way up into a position of management, which is what always what I wanted to do. I'm, I'm really passionate about developing people. So that's why I'm super excited about this topic. Excellent. So, you know, you know, we've had multiple conversations on this, right? SDRs, I think, oh. I, I, organizations, I think culturally look at them inappropriately, right? They, they almost look at them as burn and churn kind of roles when it really should be shifted because that's where revenue typically starts. I mean, marketing may be air cover, but you have a good SDR, BDR team and that's, that's where revenue starts. And so I'm curious to get your perspective. Why do you think so many companies are struggling with the hiring of effective hiring of SDRs? Yeah, for, for a number of reasons, honestly, like you, you hit the nail on the head that there's this, unfortunately, there's still a perception that an SDR role is almost like, like your typical call center type role, which is a high attrition rate. But it's oftentimes also that the people applying for an SDR role have that view as well. The SDR role in general has a bad reputation and oftentimes people look at it as this, I'm going to be a cold calling monkey that doesn't get to do anything else. It doesn't have any <laughs> strategy, you know, so that's tough and it's really tough to attract good candidates to that role when that's the perception they have. So uh, that's definitely a big part of the struggle. I think another is, is a willingness to spend some time onboarding people do the appropriate amount of training, provide the appropriate tech stack to enable the success of that team. That's that's another struggle I find with a lot of companies are looking at it as, as an expense. It's really not. It's an investment in your revenue stream. And, and that's another side of, of the struggle. I also think that companies in general struggle with the amount of experience they feel an SDR needs. Now, I totally agree with companies hiring more experienced SDRs. I think that's amazing. If you've got a compensation plan that aligns with you being able to retain those SDRs with more experience, I think that's amazing. I tend to have a different view of it. I like to hire people who are coming straight out of university who have maybe a little bit of background in customer service or something that's a, a, a people-facing role 
but I'm not as concerned with them having direct tech or SaaS experience or even specific sales training. That's not really something that's required from my perspective, but that is something that, that feeds into the struggle because when you're building those job descriptions and you're trying to find those candidates to start off with, if you're starting with a, I need you to have five years of sales experience, then yeah, you're going to cut your pool way down. Well, and it's, so is that where it starts for you is the job description? I mean, you, cause there's a lot there, right? So culturally you have to make sure the organization views the role correctly or, or in an advantageous way. Then you also have to combat the expectation. Like you said that, you know, people think of SDRs, they think of that role in one very specific way. So it's, it's hard to even get them over the hump to apply. How do you, you know, where's your first step? Is it how you put the job description out or, or the way that you go to market looking for talent? Absolutely. So the job description was something, honestly, even at Influtive, I worked with them to, to massage that description because we were, we were definitely on the line of looking for people that were a little bit too experienced in my opinion. So we massaged that job posting, made it a little bit less requirements and a lot more. It would be helpful if you have, or this would be great to have, you know, just less of that word, like this is required. So we loosened up some of that and just, just kind of listed, these are the things we're looking for. If you have experience in these areas, you're definitely like ahead of the curve, but, but it's not a requirement. We can train you on you on these things. So there was that part of it. And then it's the way we promote the posts. So I do a lot of posting on LinkedIn, especially here in Halifax, small community. So I've got a lot of uh, great contacts, a great network here in Halifax that will share my posts. The way I describe the position, even just in my LinkedIn posts, I'm like, if you're you know, young and coming out of school, you're looking to get into tech, this is a great jumping off point for multiple positions inside of a company. So I'm, I'm fortunate that I've had teams. I had a team once, I had 100% turnover on my team to internal promotions in one year. Um, so I, uh, I went from having 14 rock stars to having to hire 14 more, not all at once, of course, but it was great to see that the BDR team, the SDR team was kind of like a farm team for the rest of the company. So when positions open up in product in marketing in CS, it, customer success, it's those junior positions, they go internally to their BDR team for those first and see if there's interest from that standpoint, rather than starting from scratch and looking for people outside the organization. I love that thought. I think that the, the perception that the BDR role feeds directly into an account executive role every time is a little bit, you know, old school. Like we, I think there's a lot of soft skills from a BDR position that translate well into other teams. And so when I talk about an SDR position in a job posting, to me, it's like the beginning of your opportunity to join a, a really cool growing tech company. And it's less about like, okay, these are the quotas and here's the cold calling. And I expect this many activities from you a day. And if you don't hit that number, then you're going to be fired. Like it's, you know, talk about it with a lot more enthusiasm, but the, the broader opportunity. Yeah. So it's, it's mutual respect and mutual accountability, right? And, and it's, I, I love the fact that the, the, it's a feeder team for the entire organization. Cause you're right. I mean, in order to prospect, you have to understand business. You have to understand how to talk to customers. It's hell people. You have to understand, you have to understand the market that you're in. So there's, a, I mean, there's a great deal of places that it can go, not just into sales, which I think I agree with you. I see it a lot. It is just, Hey, I'm going to go be an SDR and then I'm going to become an AE. It's like, well, you could go anywhere you really want to in the organization. Because you have that, you know, diverse experience. And so when you start to hire them, you get them out there. All right. So you got the post and it's all, it's all raw, raw and it's positioned the right way. What are you looking for? What traits are you looking for in your SDRs? 
Yeah, that's really timely. I actually, yesterday afternoon, I was in four solid hours of, of interviews for a sales <laughs> development intern. So I was talking to kids that are still finishing their semesters um, and doing their midterms at, at university right now. And so that's really, it is kind of challenging when you're looking at people who maybe have a couple of work terms under their belt, but they really don't have much experience. And number one, I mean, especially considering I'm doing this remotely, it is just basically the ability to sell yourself. That's what an interview is. How are they selling me? Are they comfortable selling me? Are they not comfortable? Um, if I'm doing it remotely, like over the phone, how comfortable do they seem on the phone? What's that what tone and emotion and enthusiasm? And a big part, we know this, a big part of being a good salesperson is the enthusiasm, Absolutely. right? So like that, that shines through in your voice and on your face. And it's something that if you don't believe in the product, you're going to be a terrible salesperson, regardless <laughs> of how good you are. Um, so it's one of those things that is, it's as basic as that is like, how enthusiastic are they? How excited do they seem about the opportunity? How much research did they do about the company? Because a lot of the SDR role is research. We have to research companies all day long. So how much did they do about our company and how much do they understand? What makes them excited about, about the opportunity? Why did they think it's a good fit? Honestly, to me, an interview is a discovery call. You're trying to find that mutual fit on both sides and asking those questions kind of tying back to you, like, well, what are they looking to get out of this? It's almost like a value proposition. Right. So <laughs> you're, you're saying like, okay, how does this tie back to your personal objective instead of your company objective? So like finding that fit from what are they seeing in their future? Where would they like to go? And, and I just want to say, I am the last person who has a five-year plan. I'm terrible at that too. <laughs> Just as bad at that as I am at the business books. But it's one of those things where like, if you have an idea what your future looks like within the next what, one to two years, I had, I interviewed an SDR once who told me he wanted to be a sports agent. And I was like, we're not going to get you there, bud. Yeah. <laughs> so Wrong place, <laughs> wrong time, bro. <laughs> yeah, like, it's great. You seem like you can talk to people and you're confident. That's probably good for the sports agent industry, but we're not going to help you get there. So, so ultimately had to make the decision there that it wasn't going to be a good fit. But, but those are some big things. Another one, honestly, is I look for people who are, are ambitious or competitive. So a lot of the times with university kids, that, that translates to sports, right? So yep. a, lot of, a lot of athletes um, who have overcome challenges, worked with, with a team, had to collaborate. But also I've, I've interviewed people who are really passionate about writing, who are really passionate about reading. Who, you know, so as long as there's something, some ambition, some passion there that, that they've already cultivated on their own, I find that that really helps. And then honestly, one of my questions that I ask every single candidate is something about like drudgery, the grind. How yeah. do you keep yourself motivated? Because that is probably 80% of the SGR role is that research, data entry, note-taking, you know, that side of things. And then the fact that we live, we joke that it's like rejection therapy. You spend all this time working and only to get a no yeah. uh, at the end or a not right now. So how do you keep yourself motivated in times of like really big challenges that you need to overcome? And so those kinds of questions, you know, backed up with examples have led me to some amazing candidates. Perfect. And so, okay, so we get them in the door. How do you onboard them effectively? Because that's something I think a lot of people just bring in the SDRs. They throw them in the bullpen and say, here you go. And, <laughs> and, and, and you have one week to hit your first target. Yeah. Sink so or swim. How, do you, how, do, how do you approach it to make sure they're onboarded effectively? Absolutely. So I will like on this same topic, we're talking about people who are coming out uh, fresh out of school. And that's, that's sort of what we've been focusing on. Now, if you are a company who doesn't have time to spend time ramping an SDR, 
absolutely hire people who are more experienced. You're going to onboard them faster. They probably already know the tech stack you're working with. Go for it. But when you're looking at really wanting to invest in people who are coming in one, their first or second job, you do need to give them a proper onboarding and ramp time. So I'm looking at about three months before I'm expecting full quota. And in the first two weeks, I don't expect them to lead a call at all. I expect them to sit on calls and sit on demos. Uh, we use Gong, which is a yeah. call recording technology. So no, I mean, so amazing. I, I, this is the first company I've had access to Gong, and it's amazing for onboarding because they can just sit and listen. They can even speed up the recording so it doesn't have to be the full hour or whatever. <laughs> like, it's great. So that kind of thing, like spending some time actually immersing them in the day-to-day. -day. They do a lot of job shadowing of the more experienced BDRs. They'll sit side by side and go through the processes. But one thing I find has been really helpful to help ramp people, especially inexperienced people quickly, is actually having your, your book of templates, your messaging, your, your objections, all of that material. If you can have that out, written out, set up, so that they can just review it almost every time. Another really uh, important fact, Chad, you'll love this. I have a prompter and it's, <laughs> some people would call it a script, but I actually tell people I hate the word script because it means you're reading and, and right. prospects can tell, they can tell. And I've actually had a few BDRs come you know, upset because their prospect called them out for reading. <laughs> so <laughs> reading a script is not great, but having a call prompter already set up for them is so great because then if they do get that you know deer in headlights moment of panic on the phone they just look at the prompter they can pick out a couple of questions or or start with a a value proposition that's kind of written out for them so that's been really helpful for onboarding as well now influitive has a great tech stack so part of that onboarding process is a lot easier if you have the technology to enable the team to go forward in a quick manner. So like to, to get ramped up quickly, you know, Influitive already has a really robust tech stack. But if you don't, then of course, I would say you'd have to do a little bit more manual work. Like you should right. have your templates in a Google Doc or something like that, where at least there's a little bit less work from the beginning where you can copy and paste some things in, have a template for every use case. You know, really make it as plug and play as you can. And over time, you'll notice that your, your new SDRs they stop having those documents open on their screen. And it takes some longer than others. I sit in on a lot of calls myself. It's a lot of my time, but I find then if there is that moment of panic, I can always jump in and help out. And some people will ask me to stop attending their calls after you know a month. Some people it takes two and before they're really comfortable to swim on their own. <laughs> but ultimately, I think the onboarding process really just requires a lot of time and attention. And I realize a lot of companies aren't in a position to give that or don't want to, but I, I love that part of it. I think that that is the, the key to a successful foundation. Well, and I think, it, I mean, I'm 100% on the same page with you. And, and I think it's, I think it's unfortunate that there are companies that don't understand and don't, don't look at it as a, as a jumping off point, as a place where that investment actually will generate a greater return in a shorter amount of time than if you're trying to train account executives or customer success people because it's immediate impact outreach type of effort. And so I, I'm with you 100%. So, but on the tech stack, I, I'm going to guess. Sales Loft into Salesforce into Gong? <laughs> yeah, um, I love Sales Loft. So this kind of <laughs> kills me, but uh, Influtive already had outreach in, so that's the only <laughs> difference. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm trying to pull it out. Um, sorry, outreach, but you've given me a terrible, terrible experience. They know it. So Salesforce, LinkedIn Sales Navigator, okay. uh, outreach, Lead IQ. 
and gone. Ah, okay. Lead IQ. Yeah. All right. Lead IQ. Yeah. Lead IQ, honestly, uh, or any, I'm sure there's other competitors out there. That's the one that we use, but it's, it's, uh, it sits next to uh, LinkedIn and helps eliminate some of the copy paste that, that data entry yep. copy paste. So it's great for that. Um, and then as an organization, it's more so used on the marketing side, but we also have access to discover org. Ah, perfect. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Cause you, the, the thing I didn't hear was the data source. There's your data source. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So lead IQ does some of that, but, uh, but you know, yeah, no, the, the proper data source that we have is, is discover org and it's a pending data inside of our Salesforce all the time. So excellent. Great. All right. So that's the tools. Now, how about consistent behavioral framework? You know, I got to ask that question cause that's what I do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, so behavioral framework for, for me is a little bit flexible. So instead of giving people really tough numbers, like I expect you to hit X per day, I look at that on a weekly basis. So when I set up behavioral expectations, I set it up as a weekly thing because there might be a day when you have back-to-back calls all day. So you're not hitting as many dials or something like that. Or I've got people who their workflow is that they'll list build for an entire day and then do none for the rest of the week. So, you know, I know that other managers aren't as flexible about that and totally cool with that. But my management style has always been like, if you're someone, so it also depends on people's personality. I'm someone who gets really bored of list building. So I always had to jump, (laughs) I always had to jump in between other things. I'd go insane if I just sat there and list built all day. So I had to do like, say, pick 20 accounts and find 10 contacts for each account and then call them and then, you know, put my notes in and so forth and so on. So I'd have to be jumping around. But I do know people who are much better at focusing in on one task. So they're much more effective if they can sit and do that one task for, for four or five hours. So, so I, I'm pretty flexible about that, but I do set them up with, uh, so behavioral tools would be, so outreach is a big one, but also one of the things that we've been working on lately is, uh, and I know a lot of people use Trello. We use yeah. tasks inside Salesforce. So setting follow-up tasks or setting, you know, even just follow-up tasks for yourself is a really big one. I also have people block out their calendars. Time blocking. Um, Yes, time blocking. Personal time management is huge. And it's also something you have to coach on. Some people aren't very good at it. And uh, and honestly, I'm terrible at it because I I tend to have this feeling that I need to be available all the time. So I'm very bad at putting in heads down working time. I, I do tend to do that in early morning and evenings, which I really should try not to do. Um, but uh, just do what I say, not, a, not as I do, right? But yeah, so t- blocking out time in their calendars, making sure that they're sticking to that. One big thing, Chad, I've actually noticed has been a huge enablement for my team is the we're, our SDR team works on monthly targets, as most do, I think. So that last week of the month, I make them cancel all internal meetings. Nice. Nice. So, that is perfect. We because don't, I, we see it too often. SDRs are meant to be prospecting just like salespeople are supposed to be selling. And 60% of the damn calendars are all blocked off with internal meetings. Most of the time. I know. I know. It kills me. And and I got to say, like, Influtive was, was particularly bad for it when I first started. Now we've gotten better, but I, I take it even a step further. So for my team, I don't do one-on-ones or team meetings or and ask them to not do any cross-departmental work at all on the last week of the month. So that's helped a ton with focus because it just frees up so many hours. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So now as we go into new year, what's the number one thing you're focused on to ensure 2020 is a huge success? 
Oof. So that's it's a big question for us. We've got a lot going on in our company. We're looking at kind of evolving our brand, evolving our messaging. As I mentioned earlier, the company is nine years old, so we're definitely kind of uh, doing a little bit of a refresh, and that means that we've got to go back through all of our all of our templates, all of our, Oof, our scripts, yeah. all of our prompters, try to make sure that we're all aligned. And alignment is definitely the name of the game for us. It's been like laser focus on alignment lately, and that means our BDRs to our account executives, to our marketing team. We're trying to do that customer journey mapping, which I know a lot of companies have already done, and we've done it before, but we're not the same company. We've, we've evolved, the team's evolved, the product's evolved, and we've kind of identified the need to do that customer journey mapping again, yeah. help identify those friction points along the way, and we're doing that through the whole revenue team. So from, from marketing right through to customer success and support services, we've been looking at how can we make this more streamlined and a better experience for our customers. So for the BDRs in, in particular, um, that comes down to how are we prospecting? What is our methodology? What mediums are we using? Does that make the most sense? Let's make sure our messaging is aligned to what marketing is saying and also what the sales rep is going to say when the handoff happens. So it doesn't sound like we're selling two different products <laughs> or five <laughs> sometimes. So so I think for us, it, it will be alignment is, is the big theme for 2020. All right. Perfect. All right. So let's change direction a little bit here. We ask all of our I guess kind of two standard questions at the end. The first is simply as head of operations, that makes you a prospect for many other people. And while Halifax is a wonderful community and a beautiful, beautiful place, if somebody doesn't have a a referral, a a relationship, no trusted way into you, if they're prospecting into you, what do you find to be the most effective way for them to capture your attention and earn the right to get some time on your calendar? Yeah, two things, um, which are fairly obvious, but it works for me every time is one is brevity. Don't write me a novel. I won't read it. I'll delete it immediately. And then secondly is somewhere in that one sentence that you send me, it's all about me and what I need and very little about you. Or it's about how you help me because I don't care what your company does. <laughs> right. Exactly. I, love I care. It. I care what it does for me. So those are the two big things. Honestly, every prospecting email I get, if it's, if it's longer than two paragraphs, there's no way I'm reading it. And right. if the first paragraph starts off with, hi, I work at X company and this is what we do, then I'm, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Cause it isn't about you. It's a template most likely. Absolutely. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional services people, one piece of advice that if they listened, you believe would help them crush their targets, what would it be and why? Personalization. It's honestly, it ties back to everything that marketing has to be now, which is you need to be personalized. We are living in an age where people are going to do their own research before they contact you. So if you're contacting them, from a cold prospecting perspective, I just assume the next thing that happens if they do read your email is they Google you and they're going to do their own research. So I want to be able to find some peer reviews on that product or on that service that are going to back up that this is somebody I want to do business with. And so while that kind of sounds like a plug for Included, and yes, it is, it's, it's a great platform to help you facilitate getting more of those reviews and references. I think even just a, a platform like G2 Crowd or something like that, it's really important to make sure that the information that you want people to find about your company is available for them to find on their own. 
So that would be my biggest piece of advice is make sure that you're, you're producing content, that you're getting third-party content, that you're making sure that there is something out there that legitimizes that you're a valid partner and a good partner for that company to have. So that would be the biggest thing for me. It's all about brand discoverability. And the biggest place that shows up, it's interesting. I was just talking to, um, John a blank gentleman named Garrett the other day on the podcast. And we were talking about brand discoverability and he pointed out that actually the largest, like if you put in best of advocacy platforms or something, mm-hmm. Google registers that as buying intent. And so what it pulls up is more review sites than it does competitors. Yeah. And so that third party content becomes, uh, becomes critical. The reviews and the, the real world hands on. So, All right, Lisa, this is great. I, if somebody wants to talk more to you about these concepts or they want to get in touch with them, fluid, where do you want us to send them to LinkedIn website? Yeah, LinkedIn is great. I, I use LinkedIn a lot. So if you're, if you're interested to talk more, shoot me a connection request. I'd be happy to, to connect and, and chat. Excellent. All right, everybody. Uh, that does it for this episode. I want to thank everybody for listening. Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you, Chad. This was great. Honestly, I could talk all day. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody, you know the drill. Hit b2brevexec.com. Write us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.